Welcome to the Speakeasy Crime Cafe podcast, where we speak to some of the most amazing people that you'll ever meet. The people that I bring to you have lived through or experienced something most of us never will. I'm your host, Michael Merson. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. girl and her boyfriend live in this white van and and park in the Home Depot parking lot. In Castle Rock. In Castle Rock. So I'm finishing up and I get the call. I get a call back and they said the van is here at the store right now and uh, I think she's in it. So I'm uh, scooting pretty good down there. I was about to say your adrenaline's going. You're like, yeah. I got my missing person. I, I, I mean, we're gonna solve this. We're yeah. gonna, we're going to retrieve her. Right. So the, evidently the van leaves before I get there. You know, That's just, how it always works. Yeah. So I talk to the lady. I look at at the video footage. They help me out, and I see video of her. You know, I gotta say it's person. amazing. All these people that you're just polite to them. Yes. And they and you tell them what you're doing. I'm trying to recover juveniles. I'm trying to help these people. And people they, want to help. And they yes. want to help you. Yes. Because okay. they know what can happen to these kids being out on the streets, obviously. Wow. So I, I spoke to her, and she showed me the video, the surveillance video. And it was definitely her. And it shows her and uh, two or three other people getting back into the van. And I saw what kind of van it was. I'm communicating at this point with Castle Rock PD, giving, telling them, hey, if you guys see this van, stop it. Uh, it has missing person in it. That, and uh, they're like, okay, you know, they're very helpful. But then again, there's no criminal offense there yet because she's just a missing person. So uh, we go on to, uh, I actually have one of my friends riding with me that day. He wanted to see what was going on. He He's a retired military uh, military guy here in Colorado Springs, and he was very interested in this job. Everyone, this is, I mean, what you're doing is incredible. I mean, it interests me. That's why I want to do the podcast with you. Yeah. It's, this is unique, man. You're it, doing it. It's different. And uh, so he's riding with me this day, and he's all excited. Also, he's pumped up, you know, uh, thinking that we're going to get this girl right away, and we were driving around Castle Rock. Tari spoke to Castle Rock PD, and we, we thought we went through the Home Depot parking lot, didn't see anything. We checked the other parking lots, about ready to give up again, you know, maybe go get some lunch or do something, then come right back to it. Well, uh, we said, uh, before we go eat some lunch, let's go through the Home Depot parking lot again. And uh, driving through, his eyes got big as saucers and uh uh, we looked at each other. We see the van in the parking lot, and it's uh, right around a tree line. Not a normal place to park anyway. It's just away from the door somewhere that they're just going to be camping out there for a while. Right. Uh, I get a hold of Castle Rock PD. Uh, they come. They swoop. They swoop down onto the car. Uh, they take. They take the one of the guys out who was super uncooperative. He's probably about. Anywhere from 35, 45-year-old male. Uh, another female, uh, she, about the same age. And and I said, uh, 
they said, no, nobody else is in the vehicle. I said, no, we saw four people and I saw people's heads moving once that they, they saw the cops coming up into the parking lot. They hid in the van. They, you could see them jump around the back to try to hide. So um, I get out and talk to the Castle Rock cops, and they were very, very friendly, very helpful. And they're trying to deal with this uncooperative male who I th- wasn't wanting to give his information. Needless to say, he ended up having warrants for his arrest. And there were felony warrants. Of course. Felony warrants. So uh, the female didn't have any. So uh, they end up putting him in handcuffs, putting him in a car. They call for another car. We, by this time, we had three or four Castle Rock uh, officers up there. I'm watching the car. Uh, another male gets out and, you know. The van. Yeah, the van. Yeah. So. And uh, he's walking around back there, and and I'm I, I'm telling him that uh, to stay across uh, away from the the car door. He didn't have to listen to me. Obviously, I'm just a civilian, but I'm trying to help the officers out till they get more backup there. Absolutely. And they didn't see him popping out. Uh, and I also told the officers at that point when he came out that there was there was obviously more people in there. So the lady that was in the the truck or in the van, uh, which was a, like a like a white panel van, it was just you know so one of those you would think you would see on some horror story. One of those things that you see driving down the road as a cop says, "Pull me over." Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So uh, I'm talking to this lady that came out of the van, and I said, "I know she's in there. We saw some heads poking around." And she says, no, he, she's not in there. I said, you realize if you lie to these officers that they're going to charge you with felonies? And she says, tell them that she's in the van. She's, oh, yeah. in the, she's in the back of the van. So I said, hey, officers, she just told me that she's in there. Officers go open up the door and retrieve her. Uh, and they detain her along with everybody else in the van. And uh, there it goes. Uh, the family from out of state was very ha- happy because who knows what would have happened to this young girl if, if she would have continued to live on the streets with these people. I mean, she's hiding. The she, police are there. Her help is there. She's hiding. But then again, you just don't know what what they've done or what they've said to her to manipulate her. Here we go again where, you know, what we already spoke about was they the manipulate and groom them. Not saying that that happened in this case, because I, I really don't know what happened with with that. But I do know that she found safety with these guys for some reason. She thought she was safe, and she was not. So drive you crazy sometimes when it, it being does. a, you know, you're out there, you used to be a law enforcement, you're retired, and you're like, oh, she's in there. She's in there. We, we can search the van. You just want to look at the other cops. You can search the van. You have reliable source telling you there's other people in the van. Uh, you know, you can you can look for them. And you just want to do right. something, but you can't overstep. I mean. No, absolutely. It, and, and that's the thing that you have, you know, with the experience that you have and I have from our days in law enforcement. Nowadays, you see some of these uh, the law enforcement officers that are brand new and there's so many of them. Yeah, a lot of the old guys just when all this stuff has happened with uh, uh, 
you know, defund the police, yeah, and defund so the forth. police and everything like that. They, a lot of people just got out of it. There's like, they're, they were here to help people, but they didn't want to be harassed either. So they're taking early retirements, yeah, they, and, early retirements and they're gone. So now you have a, a whole new crew of guys out there and officers that female officers that are working the streets. So, um, yeah, there's a, I mean, they're all over. There's when we say guys, we mean the people in blue, no, male, female, right. so forth. That's what you were right. clarifying. I just want to make right. sure everybody knew that. Right. The uh, it's amazing what you're doing with this. I mean, you are making a difference in in people's lives. You had another one. What was the other one that we had discussed? Uh, there was another one uh, that she lived out of state, and she was placed into a facility. Uh, in Denver. Okay. And this story is pretty interesting because uh, uh, what I've come across by doing this already, you see what's happening here. You see all these different facilities these kids are put in. And a lot of these problems are stemming from these facilities or the social service networks that are where they're supposed to be taking care of these kids. And A, they either let them walk away from the facilities or, you know... Or they get picked up, and here again, they just have a runaway. There's no because there's no for them fences with locks on them, keeping them inside, right. and they're just trying to help right. them and counsel right. them, and they just get fed up and walk away. Yeah, well, you know, some of these kids are in these facilities with other bad kids, and then they get uh, harassed, you know, or pushed around and bullied, so they just want to leave. So, what happened during this one? Uh, she left the facility in Denver. And here I am thinking again, oh, back to Stout Street, all this stuff going on. Um, uh, well, pretty, I was pretty accurate because uh, uh, I get information that, I, how can I put this delicately? She was gone for about an hour and a half and picked up by a stranger. She was gone for just an hour and a half. Yeah, hour and a half after she left the facility, she was picked up by a stranger, yes. That's it, how quick it happens. Yeah, it happens fast. It happens real fast. So um, needless to say, I'm working the area. I Here again, I'm walking around downtown Denver. I have some information by I get a GPS from a computer that she used. Uh, I plug that in and it's a state capital. So I'm looking around the state capitol real close to Stout Street. So I'm thinking that's where I'm going to find her. It was over to Stout Street. So I'm looking and I end up calling uh, a detective that's in the human trafficking unit up in Denver Police Department. Who, again, these guys, I can't tell you enough how, how great they are. But well, know, I imagine they appreciate you, too. They, they do. And we, I spoke to this guy for quite some time, had some information about the... the uh, you know, the area, you know, he, he gave me some information that I wouldn't have known, you know. Uh, so I worked that and, you know, it's very delicate with the law enforcement because they can only release certain information that something obviously they can't get in trouble by giving the wrong information, especially it has to do with the juvenile. So he was very limited what he could tell me, but he gave me his direct phone number, his cell phone and uh, I told him I was going to be out around the state capitol 
and uh, there was some sightings of her. So, and how how did you find that out? Uh, well, social media again, and yeah, social media, and also uh, from uh, the actual hit we got that she was in that area from that GPS. You, you've got to have all these tricks of the trades now down to uh, science. I mean, this is this is why you're being successful. Well, there is, and there's some things that obviously I don't want to talk about on the podcast. That oh, yeah, have, absolutely. I that you have to keep quiet. That yep. little tricks of the trade. But well, 33 years in law enforcement, that you got that right. But we, I get a hold of the detective uh, from Denver Police, and he said, "Hey, Dave, I'm coming out with my partner," and uh, I told him what vehicle I'm driving. So I'm walking around around the state capitol. Most of the park was still closed off and gated off. Uh, I don't know if it was because of the pandemic or why, but you really couldn't get into many areas of the park. So I look, and I'm, there's a McDonald's down there. Uh, there's people hanging out there, homeless people like crazy all around. I start looking again over at Stout Street and uh, places like that that are real close. They're like a half mile away. So I get a call from uh, the detective while I'm doing this. He says, hey, Dave, we just saw her. We believe she just jumped into a a car with another guy uh, and uh, no plates. So what does that tell you? It tells, you know, either, you know, they're doing something they're not supposed to or do robberies or the car stolen right right so uh they give up the search and uh i go over by stout street and i i see you see a van and this is like hours later i see a van where they're loading up the teenagers from this this uh facility where they let the homeless kids uh, stay at okay see a bunch of people getting in the van and again, I can't tell because I can't get close enough, but I could tell it was, there was several girls. So I'm following the van all across Denver. They, it's about probably 12 miles to this, the soup kitchen where they go to with these girls. When, there's a few guys, but mostly girls in this van. I follow the van and it goes into a parking lot that had, it was all fenced in and it was a soup kitchen, I could tell. So I drove around the block. I could not get an eye on it. So I sit back and wait for the van to leave, and it doesn't leave. So I'm thinking, okay, I wasn't sure she was in there. I'm going to just get right back to Stout Street. So I'm looking around in the area, and uh, probably, you know, after a bit of nudging, me talking to the detective up in Denver PD all day long, he was probably getting really sick and tired of me, but uh, he... Ended up getting a tip. They sent a, a patrol car to that soup kitchen, and there she was. She was in there, and we grabbed her, and they grabbed her, and she was recovered. But in the meantime, you know, who knows? Uh, How long has she been walk after she had walked away? Been I think I think we're looking at about six, seven days that she had been gone by this point. Okay, and uh, who knows what's happened to this young girl? And she had. You know, her parents, her her mother is just a fantastic person and really caring. 
and wanted to get her help after this. But some horrible stories do come from this this story. And uh, she has uh, that I can't talk about, but she has a lot of healing and a lot of uh, professional people she's going to have to see to live a normal life. But if it wasn't for you? Who knows what would have happened? She could have been killed. It's, I mean, seven years, life expectancy. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, teaching all the cops I know, all the people working this uh, as police officers, law enforcement, you know, I, I only know of one person who's doing this, and that's you. Thank you, Mike. It's, I mean, seriously, this it's just you from what I know. I mean, law enforcement is a small community of people. And when people leave, I keep track of what some of them are doing and what their, you know, their life after retirement. And some of them are just playing golf. Some of them are moving. They're buying a boat in Florida. They're doing all this other things. But you, you decided to dip your toe in the pool. Yes. And said, you know, I got a lot of experience. I could do more with it. And that's what you're doing. I mean, you got to be proud of yourself. I mean, what does your wife say to you? Well, I like you said, I I was going to just play golf and hang out at the house, and she kind of nudged me a little bit and said, you know, this isn't you. Uh, you should really get to it. You have so many different things that you could do in your life. And, uh, you know, I've thought about this probably two years prior to uh, retiring because I knew there was a need for it. So I, I was doing a little at a time, but it really nudged me along to get it started. And uh, so far, it's been very successful, and it, may, it does. It does. This, it makes you feel really good. This is like your full-time job now. Yes. This is all you do. Right. This I mean, we're it. sitting in your basement, and I saw the office when I walked by upstairs. I can only imagine how much time you're spending just tracking these people down. Social media, um, contacting family, talking to family, and going, okay. And then... Finally, you have to go, okay, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to set up at this location and I'm going to sit here for a few hours right. and I hope I can see them in just a few in, in, in the hours that you're there and you're putting yourself in danger. You're walking down some of these streets. You're no longer a cop. You no longer have that, that badge and so forth. And people don't have to talk to you. People can be actually aggressive to you and tell you to pound sand and there's not much you can do about it anymore, but you still go out there and do it every day. I do. And you know what? After 33 years of uh, working in law enforcement and helping the public, it's very hard to get away from doing that. You know, I had my military service prior to that. So I, I think it's something that, you know, I needed in my life uh, to fulfill it, to, to be able to help people. I talk to people now throughout the whole country. You know, people call me for advice. I've had talked to people from New York, Kansas City, uh, all o all over the country. Families looking for people. Families looking for their kids, and there's tons of kids missing, tons of them. And, uh, you know, I worked closely with NECMEC, the National Center for Missing and Endangered Children. They, What an amazing group that is. Uh, we had an officer that I trained here in Colorado Springs that went on to work for that agency who has been very helpful with uh, the the search for some of these kids too. Can you see yourself doing anything else than what you're doing right now? Uh, not at this point. I, I don't know what I could do to, to expand. I, I think I would like to maybe be a nonprofit uh, that I'd be able to uh, 
uh, help more of the families that are you know, not so well off. That Recover these young people. Yeah. I think that would be a thing that I would like to get done and do. I just haven't had the time to do that yet because I've been so busy. I was about to say, uh, starting a nonprofit, uh, people can do it by themselves, but it's hard, especially when you're trying to do what you're trying to what, trying to do what you're trying to be successful at, and trying to set up the nonprofit. It's like you can't do both. Right. You can't be out there looking right. for these missing people at the same time writing everything that goes along with uh, what it takes to create a nonprofit. Creating nonprofits just not a quick little thing you have to do. It's, it's a right. lot of things you have to do for that. Yeah, and you think about some of these things, like uh, some of the people out of state, or even like I was telling you about that person in Guam. The cost for that is tremendous. So you have the cost for uh, flights, which is not cheap anymore. Yeah, you would have to have a rental car, a place to stay, and then you go from there. But everything else is easy after that, but it's the logistics of getting there and the cost of that that accrue. You ever been nervous as you at doing one of these jobs on Stout Street or you ever had a run in with someone that said, You better leave me alone right now? Well, you know, I, I ran into that guy on Stout Street that was shooting up heroin as I'm, I'm talking to him. But if you keep cool uh, and they don't know who you are anyways, they're going to keep cool. Uh, but you escalate the situation, uh, it could be a problem. And after throughout so many years and as you get older, you really learn how to deal with people of all different, all different, you know, parts of, you know, of the country and how they are and you know, it's just, it just gets different. It's a different kind of situation. What do these kids say to you oh, when they realize what you've done? Well, uh, I haven't really spoke too much of the, to the kids after I recover them. The parents take over at that point or, or the state, whoever right. has custody of them. Uh, the kids are not happy. Because uh, uh, they've been know, groomed. Yeah. Uh, they don't know that this is the best thing for them. It's kind of, uh, you know, oh, now you're taking me away from here and I have to go back to that that bad place that they came from, which evidently, it, obviously, it's not that bad place. It's just what they perceive. Because these families love them. I mean, they're looking right. for them. Right. They're contacting you saying, hey, right. find, my, find my baby. Find yeah, my daughter yeah, and my yeah. son. I, I need someone. Yeah, even the kids that have been locked up have their those family members that just love them, and they're doing the best for them that they can. You ever just gone to bed and you're sitting there, and you're at a loss, and you're like, "How am I going to find this kid?" Oh yeah, every, every case I work is like that. I, I lose sleep, uh, and it drives my wife crazy because uh, I'll be laying in bed on my phone and searching sites and and for information you know and then up again the next morning at 5 a.m and trying to trying to dig into it so but i lose sleep all the time i i when i work these cases there's i really get very little sleep you have very little time to yourself because i mean time is of the essence it is yeah and you can't say oh well, let's just wait oh i'll see you in a few days or but yeah time is of the most important so you're in Colorado Springs, you get a hit in Denver. I mean, Cheyenne, Wyoming. I mean, that's just across the border from Colorado. I mean, you got to go. Yeah, absolutely. Time to go. You can't just go, like you said, uh, let's do it. Let's just see what happens the next day because they may not have it next day. 
No, absolutely. And the quicker the parents get a hold of me or whoever it is, family member of any type, the quicker they get a hold of me, the better off it is. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, we looked at, you know, some of the statistics and so forth. And it, I think it was like six to 10, eight to 10 partners in a day. That's overwhelming, isn't it? Well, when I think about that and you, and you get a hit on where one of them are, you know, you just stopped that, that child from being victimized by eight to 10 people the net, that next day. Absolutely. And then so on and so on. And you got to think after, even after they're picked up, they're still a victim for a long time because then you have the medical issues you have to deal with for um, maybe forever, depending on what they could have picked up, like HIV or, or whatever they could have picked up on the streets from this because these these pimps don't care. They'll take them, they'll abuse them. As soon as they're done, they'll they'll move on and find another person to do it. What what else can you tell us? We're going to close this out. And again, I, I want you to go over how does someone contact you? Someone's got their missing child, and they need to reach out to someone who can who has been successful and recovering in less than a year. Missing people. How how, do they, how are people going to get a hold of you, Dave? Well, they can call me. Uh, again, my name is Dave, Dave Nelson, and my phone number is 719-499-0144. And they can just call, and I can give them advice also. And I do that uh, all the time. A lot of these parents don't even know where to begin. I, I, I tell them the things, the steps that they have to take with the police departments, getting photos out there, getting missing persons through NECMEC. Uh, there's lots, lots of things that have to be done and, uh, just give me a call and I'd be glad to help. All right. Uh, it's a thankless job, but I'm going to thank you for what you do as a father of two daughters. I thank you for all the other parents out there that have a child and they don't know where they are right now and they can call someone like you to get them. Well, thank you, Mike. I was glad to be here today. Appreciate it.